Good evening, everyone. Welcome to GradCast. This is the production of the Society of Graduate Students on CHRW 94.9. We are the only, only radio show here at Western for grad students by grad students. My name is Nick. Uh, my name is Gavin. They are our second host for tonight. And today I have the great privilege of introducing you to Abdullah Al-Jaja, who is actually from the exact same lab as I am. <laughs> so Abdullah, why don't you start off by just telling us the basics of your research? Hi, and good evening, everyone. So basically, I I like to work with Parkinson's patients. And, and in basic words, my research looks at the brain activity for PD patients and healthy controls, and we're looking at some something called regularity detection. So this phenomenon is basically we're extracting or the ability to extract any changes in the auditory stream that you can actually detect without even being told to. So for example, if we're playing two sounds, a random and a regular one, you can detect the change from random to regular, and we can see this through the brain waves or the brain activity for these patients and controls. And this is in simple words. Yeah, so so there's a lot to go through in what you just said, a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just start off, I guess, so we're in the lab of Penny McDonald, and you're a PhD student. That's and, true. And uh, you're studying Parkinson's. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Parkinson's to begin with? Okay, so just first of all, I'm co-supervised by Penny McDonald and Jessica Gran, and I, I, will, I want to thank them from this position here. And basically, Parkinson's disease is a debilitating disorder. So we're looking at patients above 60 years old, old, like this is the general age of onset. It could be earlier, but this is like the general age. And PD patients manifest with uh, tremor, bradykinesia, which is the slowness in movement and the stooped postures. So you can see Parkinson's patients and you can actually feel their these debilitating symptoms without even trying to ask them and which is part of what causes their anxiety as well. So I personally had this experience with, Bar with Parkinson's disease in which my grandpa had it and that was in approximately 2009 and I had to live with these symptoms and because I was like part of the, uh, I was a caretaker for him and this like introduced me to the world of research and trying to look to what Parkinson's is and what changes in this disease and how this affects the patient himself or herself and the caretaker or the caregiver in this case. Right, so I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that about your uh, grandfather. Um, before that happened, were you uh, like interested in this kind of work at all or was that really like your intro to like neuroscience and research of this kind? Well, I've always been interested in medicine. Okay. And I started med school in, in Lebanon, back home, and uh, I had the chance to transfer all my stuff to Canada, but unfortunately I couldn't get into med school, so right. I started right. another bachelor's, and I finished another one in interdisciplinary medical sciences. And here I got the opportunity to research more about Parkinson's, and that was in our lab. So I volunteered in our, in our lab, and this eventually gave me the position as a master's student actually. So that was in Penny McDonald's. Yeah. So then how did um, your co-supervision with Jessica Gran happened? Happen? Uh, so after two years of volunteering in that lab, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. After two years of volunteering, I decided to start a master's and Penny McDonald, Dr. McDonald said that we have a chance of 
co-supervision with Dr. Kran. And I also had like a part-time work study with Dr. Kran, which facilitated the supervision, the co-supervision. Yeah, because I've always, um, I've heard uh, stories from a few friends of mine when they uh, started their grad school back uh, in the UK. And they've said that some people got their research positions by volunteering, helping out at labs, and even though they couldn't show it before, like through applications, but they were able to prove themselves in labs, showing the professors or their future supervisors, I can show you that I know this stuff a lot better than what it says on paper, and I'm very hardworking. So it sounds like you really managed to show, like in your lab, show that you are very capable of this work. Well, that, that, that is a good point. Volunteering is, is an important aspect for undergrads, and I encourage every undergrad to volunteer. And basically, in, in the IMS program, we don't have an honors thesis. So you don't get like this uh, research-oriented or thesis-oriented program in the IMS. So that was a bit of a setback for me to transfer to master's because I didn't have, basically on paper, I didn't have any research experience. But because I had these two years of like intense research, testing, analyzing data, and probably a bit of writing, that was my point or my my privilege to getting into the master's program interesting and then and then you get in and you've been sort of doing studies involving I guess Parkinson's for the two years of volunteering <laughs> and you finally get in and you start the master's right that's true what was what what was that like what 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 kind of things did you study at first when you got so into the master's program into the master's yes uh, well that's that's a long story actually <laughs> I, uh, I I started when I started my master's and you probably saw my first presentation about freezing of gait yes. and the VR stuff so we planned on looking at freezing of gait and Parkinson's so what freezing of gait is basically when Parkinson's patients want to initiate movement or walk from point A to point B they have this tuttering movement they won't be able to walk as fast and as stable as healthy controls or healthy people do. So I wanted to look at this phenomena and we looked at some papers that said that anxiety increases the frequency and the prevalence of freezing of gait. And we wanted to look at what if we reduced anxiety? Would this be helpful to freezing of gait? But I'm still working on that project and we got sidetracked from it because of like ethics and we needed to get ethics approval, which we're still working on because we're giving medication to PD right. patients. Mm -hmm. And that was like the major point here. So barring <coughs> ethics, how would you <laughs> how would you decrease or increase someone's anxiety? So basically the paradigm was we'll be introducing the walk the plank, which was introduced by Dr. Almeida before. So we have a gate mat in, in the brain of my, at the Brain and Mind Institute. So we give this uh, VR goggles and we let the participants walk on, so the, the low anxiety or the no anxiety situation, they'll be walking on a plank, which is the gate mat, and it's level to the ground around no them. Way. And, mm. and that's, that's the low anxiety. The high anxiety one would be having a pit next to this plank so they'll be walking on this gate mat which is like around 70 or 80 centimeters more or less and they have to walk on this and there's like a, a chance of right. moving i'm doing this with my fingers now <laughs> so there's a chance of falling which which was proven or uh by by dr almeida saying that this increases anxiety and increased freezing of gait episodes so we were trying trying to introduce medication here mm. anxiolytics 
to reduce anxiety and look at freezing of gate episodes if they're if they were reduced or the frequency was reduced so you wanted to for the high anxiety you wanted to subject them to a scenario that you know will get them at the most anxious they can be and that's probably the best way for you to find a way to mitigate well, that problem yes and no it's always hard to have freezing of gate episodes in a lab setting so what what causes these free, these episodes is basically if you're a PD patient and let's say someone knocks at the door or you want to walk through the hallway or like not so well lit areas you would have these kind of episodes that you're not sure if you're going forward or if you're stopping or so these where where you stutter where you don't know how to go from point A to point B and anxiety have been uh studied recently and intensively and it has been I won't say proved like proved is, is a big word here but it uh, increases the frequency of freezing of gate so this is where we started our project the first one interesting and so so that's kind of in progress I guess now yeah okay and and then and then you take the shift to your PhD work PhD work well or n- not while I was at my master's okay. and I had all these setbacks and, and the freezing of gate projects project, I decided to do another project so I don't lose any time. Right. So mm-hmm. that's when I started the regularity detection paradigm in EEG with PD patients and healthy controls on and off medication. Regular Regularity detection. Regularity, yeah. What does that mean? So, okay, let's say you're sitting in uh, a room you're you're talking to your like friends and you're listening to music and suddenly something starts beeping you'll be able to hear that beep and you will be able to perceive what this beep means let's say if it's a fire alarm or anything else so the ability to extract these regular patterns from a busy scene which is friends talking music and all these stuff around you is what regularity detection entails so it is fairly automatic and it doesn't require a lot of uh, your attention and so that's why it's an important aspect in our everyday life yeah guess now i know (laughs) why every time i hear a beep when i'm watching tv it just drives me crazy when i can't figure out (laughs) where it's coming from well yeah it's it's sort of along these lines but yeah so you you have this beep that is in the background and you have to know what this is what this means and this is like basically what regularity detection is and when you so i guess uh where i'm a bit confused is when you say regularity detection is that like detecting a sound that is regular so like repetitive Mm -hmm. okay so because i was thinking like the you know the cocktail effect where you kind of hear your name in a busy scene but that's not what you mean you mean more like some repetitive noise coming through that that exactly okay well, it, I think it all started with a cocktail paradigm in which like you hear multiple sounds and are you able to tease apart what you want to actually listen to. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a different thing. It's okay. And uh, going, you mentioned that you were looking at for Parkinson's patients and healthy older patients. Mm-hmm. So were there any like noticeable differences you saw between... PD patients and non-PD patients. So in in this study in particular, the regularity detection, the difference was not in relation to the Parkinson's disease itself. It's not related to the disease because looking at the results for PD patients and healthy controls when they were off medication, 
So we play two sounds, one of them is random and one of them is random that is transitioning to regular. And we give medication to healthy controls and placebo in one session. So one session is placebo, the other is medication, and this is counterbalanced. And for PD patients, we ask them, we ask them to abstain from taking their PD medication for one session and they take it regularly for the other and it's also randomized here. So basically we looked at these stimuli and we looked at the brain activity using EEG, which is electroencephalography, and we looked at what we call the sustained response. So usually and in healthy younger adults, when we play a random stimulus, there's an increase in the intensity of the, or the brain activity, which plateaus until the stimulus is end, uh, or the stimulus ended. However, when we play a random that is transitioning to regular, first we have the random sound and this increase in stimulus activity or brain activity, sorry. And whenever it transitions to a regular stimulus or a regular pattern, there's this change in structure. The brain activity increases and the amplitude of the sustained response also increases, which, which signals that the brain activity is changing ac actually here. So what we saw in PD patients and healthy controls when both of them were off medication is that the enhanced or this enhancement in the sustained response was present and these results uh, mimic or mirror what happened with younger people. However, when we gave the medication, there was an attenuation in this response. So the amplitude decreased when we gave medication for both PD patients and healthy controls. So just to put that in the real world, when you, when you say the medication made that sustained re response attenuated. Did, do you mean that it, they were less able to detect it, like, or, or that their brain activity was less able? Mm -hmm. So I, I cannot say that they're less or like more able to detect right, it okay. because there wasn't there was no behavioral component. In it. So basically, I cannot I cannot say that it was improved or not. Because but I at don't least have in a, the brain, there was a so change. yeah. So yeah, brain activity and this sustained response usually signals the ability to detect regularity. Okay. It is attenuated, yeah. but I don't have the behavioral component to support what the brain activity says. Oh, and and what is um, you're talking about providing this this drug to them, and that's the thing that is sustaining this response. Uh, what exactly is that medication? So we're giving them Cinemet or okay. L-Dopa. And this is what PD patients, Parkinson's patients, take on a regular basis. So as I said before, that there's neurodegeneration in the substantia nigra, which is a compartment in the brain that produces dopamine and distributes it to parts of the brain. So whenever we have Parkinson's, the substantia nigra is degenerated and we have deficits in dopamine. Mm -hmm. So when we give this medication, we are replenishing what was lost previously from the disease. And that's why we see improvement in, in the tremor and the bradykinesia and some cognitive aspects. And so like their movement gets their better. Movement, exactly, okay. exactly. They, they're, they able, sorry, they're able to walk better okay. and to handle, but, yeah, go ahead. But you're, like you're saying that this um, sort of regularity detection may get worse with this medication? Yes, it might. Okay. And this, this comes along our line of research in which we're looking at the effect of dopamine on several brain or several brain functions and some cognitive impairment because I know this is the first line of defense. L-DOPA is the first line of, of defense against Parkinson's and mm. it's not like we're battling against it. 
but it's just the mere fact of trying to see what's happening when we give this medication. How is it affecting PD patients cognitively and on the motor uh, system, on their motor system? Okay, and uh, you were just mentioning uh, looking at the cognitive and the motorative um, impediments. Uh, can you quickly elaborate what you mean by the two? Okay, so when we say cognitive functions, we say about we, we talk about the working memory, the learning, the, basically the ability to do our everyday like life functions. So almost such able as to calling a like phone learn number. new things and process like able to process information exactly, at an efficient exactly. rate. Okay. Yeah, so like. Yeah calling someone, remembering a phone number, remembering a name, and this is basically what the cognitive functions that we try to look at here. And motor, as I said before, and Nick was talking about it as well, is the tremor. So basically, the handshaking, uh, the slowness in movement, the freezing of gait, and these are the aspects that dopamine actually improves here. Very interesting. So, so now that you have... Um you know, you've seen these changes within a person's brain using this EEG technology. Um, do you plan to then um, do a behavior test where you are, you know, maybe asking them to rate how much they hear versus how much they don't hear? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like a next step? Or well, if not, then what, what are your next steps? Well, there? this is the next step. And I'm almost I, I'm actually done with the data collection for this part. So in, in this paradigm, I recruited healthy younger people and I scanned them on our 3T scanner. I was Roberts. one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what was you it like? Oh, it was fun. I got to watch Inception. <laughs> yeah, so oh. basically the first component or the first part of it is the passive listening in which participants just lay in the scanner, enjoy a movie, and hear these annoying sounds. <laughs> If you ever need another test subject, I'm willing to do that. (laughs) And you'll get paid, by the way. Even better. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yes, basically, well, unfortunately, I'm not collecting any data now. But for this paradigm, I I did the passive listening part, and I also did an active one, which you didn't do. I did not do that one, yeah. So in in this part, they'll be listening to uh, auditory stimuli that are changing in structure from random to regular or regular to random or just nothing is changing and they have to respond as quickly and as accurately and oh, we look okay. at accuracy here and reaction time and looking right. at these two variables right. we can decide if okay are they actually detecting this is there any deficits okay so i have two follow-up questions yeah first of all did you see any differences there in the reaction timing and number two do I get credit for choosing Inception? <laughs> <laughs> so for the first question, I haven't gotten to the part of like analyzing okay. that. That I only did the passive listening, and okay. we saw some changes that right, we can right. talk about later. But I give you full credit for choosing Inception, by the way. Amazing. <laughs> because I was, I just wanted something to grab their attention, and I was lost between. Inception, and do you remember what the other movie was? It was um, (laughs) The Imitation Game. Exactly. (laughs) So I was like, "Eh, which movie? And he said, okay, Imitation Game. I haven't watched this in a while. And I was like, okay. And he was like, you know what? Let's go with Inception. And he started this. I thought it was more visual, visually interesting. And it's you know it's it's a lot heavy on the brain. Like you need you need to follow with a lot of events in this movie. I feel like you can miss a lot about the movie if you just deviate away from it for like ten seconds. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, and also the imitation game is like it's it's heavy, but not as Inception. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so... So I f- expect first authorship on the paper. <laughs> yeah, this is actually, this is how papers work. Yes. You just choose a movie and you get to be Absolutely. first author. Absolutely, I don't see a problem in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So, so you're at the step now where you're still collecting, but no, now no, you're I'm, just I'm analyzing. I'm done data collection. Okay. Yeah. So, um, what does this like an, an analysis process look like? Like, what are you sort of? What does your day look like? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, currently my day is. Uh, basically, I'm doing my comps in a couple of m- in a month now. Okay, so that's so, your, your PhD exam. Yeah, type so that's thing? my okay. comprehensive oh. exam. So this exam is uh, a milestone in a PhD degree. So you have to get through this exam in order to finish and then defend your thesis. So it's a uh, a big step now, which I'm which I'm preparing for. Right. But I'm also writing my EEG manuscript, the the study that we talked at the beginning, and doing like I'm doing the data analysis for the fMRI stuff now. So my day is pretty hectic, and I go home and just play with my children afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to, you mentioned uh, fMRI uh, there. Can you use what does that stand for? So that's functional magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, basically, as I said, they're like watching a movie lying in the scanner, and that's it's like a lot of physics and magnets and all these stuff in it. So we record brain activity here, in which we can see actually which brain activity is is more involved in this task, which brain activity is lighting more in response to these stimuli. Hi, this is Greg, your producer, and I would just like to ask, what is an EEG? Can you explain how that works as well? Okay, so uh, EEG is electroencephalography, and we basically put the participant, put a cap on, and attach some electrodes, and we measure the brain waves that results from whatever we're presenting. So there, there are different brain waves that are there, even when we're just doing nothing or closing our eyes or just attending to something else. But we can just like take these out and filter them and get to what we want from the brain when we produce or when we present these stimuli. So in a way, you're reading people's minds. I wish I could. <laughs> but <laughs> They think that in the future we will be able to to some extent, actually. Well, okay. there there are some studies there that are, yeah. yeah, but we won't go into no, that. We won't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just think as you say that, I just picture you put the electrodes onto their head, and then you can just get a TV screen and literally visualize what they're thinking about. So uh, there were some studies on yeah, vegetative state yeah. patients in which I think it's like imagine playing tennis yeah, or walking right. in a room, and yeah. like you have a cursor that goes up or down in response to what you're thinking. And this was like a yeah. pretty cool study. I think I said this correctly. If I didn't, please let me know. You know, it is true. They, so they had like um, a person in a vegetative state. So sorry, the vegetative state is that oh. a person he's in a coma, right. but he's like he's internally aware of what's happening. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they were able to find certain sort of brain patterns uh, based on whether that person was imagining playing tennis versus. I think walking through a room or something. Mm-hmm. And then they were able to ask this person yes or no questions where they said, if you want to say yes, think about tennis. And if you want to say no, think about walking through a room. And they were actually to ask questions to some of these people. Yeah. So basically um, they were able to answer these yeah. questions and we were able, or like the scientists yeah. back then were able yeah. to decipher what they were thinking because like they're there, they're alive, but not in a coma. What what's happening? And that was the question that actually sparked this study. Yeah, I think I need to find these studies. It sounds really interesting. 
some extra reading. It's Adrian Anyways. Owen who who did this. And work. he yeah, and <sighs> like there was a paper that was published I think yesterday. Oh really? For Adrian, and it has like forty thousand participants in it. Though that was the sleep yeah, study. The sleep yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read it yet. But yeah, me I'm neither. Excited to do so. Um, now I just wanted to ask you. Where I I just have a great practical question I'd like to ask you. So you mentioned you do have children. Yeah. How do you manage? Because I do not have children, and I'm finding it's very difficult already. Well, first of all, I want to thank my wife. <laughs> right, of like, course. She's an important pillar in our house. She's, she literally does everything. She's superwoman. And I we both work, so I go to school. I like do my work here. She's a medical office administrator. We both come home, and we have like three or four hours that we have to dedicate, or, or less sometimes, to our children. Because like you need to sit with them, you need to play with them, and this is where I get my my setback in research because I I'm not able to do as much work from home as like everybody else is, right. and I have to de- dedicate time for them. I definitely I will not like g- give work priority over my family, so yeah I spend my time most of my time until they're asleep, <laughs> just <laughs> playing and like yeah doing a lot of stuff with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how do you? Because uh, I find I get distracted by like YouTube and all this other crap. Like, how do you <laughs> stay so focused? It's amazing. Well, that's why I'm I'm at the lab most of the time. Right. So I think I can do most of the work from my lab, and just coming home to this like to my kids running to me, and this is what gives me the energy to continue. That's amazing. Mm. That's amazing. So we're nearing the end of our show. I just wanted to ask you so. What are what are sort of your like future plans from now? I mean, obviously you have the comps in your sort mm-hmm. of near future, near future yeah. but what are your sort of long term plans? So that's a tough question because, as I said before, I I went to med school yeah. in Lebanon and I had to leave that because of some like reasons that I I don't know if you can go into now, but for some reasons I had to leave med school and come to Canada, and I started like my bachelor's my masters and my PhD now but I still have my med school dream Mm -hmm. in my head so after I finish my PhD if I apply to med school and get in this will be my future plan if not I'll be trying for like academia or some work in industry or anything that I can use my my degree in actually because like I spend a lot of work a lot of time learning so I that is great. So we are at the end of our show. Um, Abdullah, I just want to ask you, is there uh, any sort of last things you want to say or any place where our audience can uh, find you? So we have two websites that has all these studies on. We have the first one for Dr. Jessica Gran, and it's jessicagran.com. And the other is for our, for Penny McDonald. It's called pennymcdonald.net. And you have all the information for our studies if you want to participate. If you have any questions, you can always contact us, us through these websites. And volunteer work is so important. <laughs> yes, and we do pay for volunteering. And uh, we pay for volunteering. If you want to well, join yeah. a study, I'm going to join Abdullah on <laughs> asking people to participate in, in the lab. Because yeah, that can be a tough you thing wanna, to find. Yeah, if you want to participate, if you have any questions about participation or what, what you can do or what we will ask you to do is all on the websites. So... Give us a sh- give us a call or an email. That's great. I want to thank you both for hosting me today. Thank you very much. I appreciate your shout out and 
again, you're doing a great job, guys. Thank you very much. Well, thank you well, for thank coming. Thank you, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. So you have been listening to GradCast. We are a production of the Society of Graduate Students. We air every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on CHRW 94.9. Um, if you would like to contact us, you can get a hold of us through many ways. You can go to our website, which is gradcast.ca. You can also check us out on our social media on Twitter and Instagram at Gradcast Radio. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you'd like to get in contact with us personally, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. I have been Nick. And I have been Gavin. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We will see you next week. Goodbye. The GradCast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.